Welcome to Recana Day Unplugged. Today is Tuesday, August 28th, and I am Ann Picker, Recana Day's Chief Economist. With me are Jeremy Hawkins in London and Mark Pender in Pennsylvania. Jeremy, we need to catch up on what's happening in the Eurozone. Okie dokie, yes, we do. Well, I suppose it's got to be said that it's you know, the summer period at the moment. So economic news is relatively thin on the ground and most of the update really concerns uh, the soft surveys. So you know, business and consumer surveys rather than actual hard data. What we've seen from that low over the last uh, week or so is that uh, probably August was a, a moderately decent month for the Eurozone economy. Uh, in particular, looking at the flash PMI composite index there coming in at 54.4. So that's essentially unchanged from the 54.3 we saw in the final figures for July. So economic growth, I guess, is sort of flatlining at the moment. Uh, manufacturing and services expanding at roughly the same rates. Looks as if mid-quarter was at least a better period as far as France and Germany are concerned, so that's certainly good news. Um, aggregate employment continues to expand at a healthy rate too. But there's still some major question marks, I think, when you go through, if you like, the entrails of the data. Orders are rising less quickly now than they have were earlier in the year. And backlog accumulation, which has been one of the key factors helping to support output so far during 2018, that's now running at its lowest rate in some 19 months. And sort of the icing and cake on the cake, I suppose, for those people who take a pessimistic view of the Eurozone, business optimism, that's now an aggregate level of two-year low. Um, indeed, if we look at some of the, the smaller member states, uh, their optimism is down at a five-year trough. Manufacturing, certainly worried by protection issues and output price inflation also appears to soften a little bit. So I guess we put all that lot together, suggests that the Eurozone is doing okay, but not much better than that. The end of quantitative easing is probably still on for the end of this year, but certainly any chance of a hike in interest rates from the ECB seems to be about as far away as ever. And one other point I should mention with regards to Eurozone sticking with the survey data, consumer confidence has also continued to slip. Uh, the flash August data, although historically speaking, it's got to be said it's still relatively firm. It was still at its weakest level since May 2017. So I think safe to say, put all that lot together, it seems as if the Eurozone economy is going nowhere in a hurry at the moment. And if we do see you know, protectionism and such issues weighing more in the second half of the year, then the risk is certainly we see growth starting to slow down in contrary to the ECB's expectations as a pickup. UK, well, the Bank of England, of course, tightened earlier on this month and looks to be on hold until after Brexit has been sorted out. Um, Parliament's in summer recess over here, but that hasn't stopped increasing scare stories about the implications of a no deal. Uh, we've had warnings of food shortages and uh, supposedly now even the threat of rows of portaloos lining the roads to the major ports due to potential disruptions to custom arrangements. So that'll be something to enhance the British countryside. But one that, was, note, that, that was portaloos? Portaloos, portaloos yes. Portable parties. Mobile, exactly that, for those <laughs> poor drivers of articulated vehicles carrying whatever they may be, unable to get across and through the ports as easy as they once could, you know, assuming we get the hard Brexit. So that's one of the scare stories at the moment. Um, and something else I should mention of note, just um, I sort of kind of these one-off factors, as people may be aware, we had a very hot uh, summer as far as Europe's concerned, and that was also true of uh, the UK. And some of the surveys now suggesting that we could see a fairly significant hike due to the weather effects in meat, vegetable and dairy prices, uh, potentially at least 5% over coming months. And that could make some upside pressure on UK inflation.
That's about it for me. Jeremy? Yeah. A question. There seems to be a fuss in the news today about whether the Bank of England will try to get uh, Carney to stay yet another year. Um, yes, I think, I mean, give him credit. I, mean, I think there's, you know, there are different views about just how, how good Carney has been since he took office. But I think it was a general appreciation of the fact that notwithstanding he's quite clearly very much anti-Brexit, um, I think he's been seen as handling uh, handling the way policy has been implemented since the referendum back in 2016 quite well. And the hope is that although he's already announced he intends to leave next year, um, that you know, he may be persuaded to be able to stay on, particularly if we end up without a Brexit deal or some kind of hard deal. I think financial markets, by and large, have given him the benefit of a doubt, would like to see him stay on. If he were to go, it's the usual case of having to bed in a new um, chance, a new um, head of governor of the Bank of England. Of course, that's going to make markets all the more uncertain. Whether he will or not, I think is anybody's guess. But if you if he sticks to what he was saying what this time last year, then he really wants to leave the bank come next year. There's another vacancy coming up, and that's at the ECB. And there seems to be quite a lot of chatter about who will replace Mario Draghi. There is, of course, there's inevitably a lot of sort of talk about what's going to go on there. Um, I think there's, well, there's something of a battle at the moment between the northern and the southern member states of the, of the Eurozone. Uh, Germany would very much like to see the Bundesbank head take over the role. But I think there are concerns now, particularly amongst the Mediterranean countries, where that we could see you know, the Bundesbank attitude towards policy being too harsh at a time when the Eurozone economy you know, is still really struggling to generate the inflationary pressures that the ECB should want to, you know, should want to see to meet its target level. So this is going to run, I expect, for some considerable while yet. And it's at this stage, it's really unclear who will mm. actually get the final position. And of course, it's down to the politicians as well, which makes it even more complicated. Is, is Draghi uh, sure to, uh, to be replaced to resign? Oh, he will be going. Yes, his term will be finishing. So that, that's it. That's him for him. He's off. Okay. Down in Australia, with endless beaches, clear blue skies, barbecues and beer, once again, its politics has been subject to ructions. Like other countries, there are concerns over stagnating wages, rising housing costs, and in some places, opposition to immigration. Underlying it all, though, is the feeling that politicians have stopped listening to their constituencies. In the capital of Canberra, lawmakers from the ruling Liberal Party, responded to public discontent by ejecting centrist Malcolm Turnbull as Prime Minister last week and replacing him with Treasurer Scott Morrison. While Morrison defeated a far-right-wing populist, he is still more of a conservative figure than Turnbull. No Prime Minister, interestingly, has served a full term in 10 years. That has curbed their willingness to enact any kind of bold and potentially painful policies to monitor, monitor, modernize Australia's commodity-dependent economy. 
Lawmakers say they are acting for the public on leaders they dislike, and Morrison has promised stability. Voters will get their say, however, at an election expected by May 2019. The latest bloodletting has pushed the Australia's currency, the, the was the dollar down to more than a two-year low and is reinforcing the views that can bearer of politicians act only for themselves. The new prime minister has promised generational changes in the warring liberal policy, has also promised to end the battling that scarred the conservative government ahead of the election by May. We have issues. I'm sorry, but isn't Australia economy doing very well? Yes, it has not had a recession since 1990. And as expected in the second quarter, which will not be released for a week, 10 days, to be growing at an, at an annual rate from last year at 3%. But there was still some economic discontent? There's very much a disconnect from the two. However, the economy has been a commodity-driven gains, and intermittently they try to um, change their economy so there's more balance uh, between industrial and commodity-driven growth. Okay, Mark. My turn? Your turn. <laughs> well. It's been it's been an interesting morning. We've had uh, uh, initial uh, trade data on uh, the third quarter for July, and this is the goods. This is uh, trade in goods, which is the dominant part of trade, uh, and it was a, a very large um, deficit, seventy two point two billion dollars. Uh, imports exceeded exports. That's money out flowing out uh, out of the economy, and these are the initial. Uh, some of the initial reports following in now as these trade issues develop. And um, I guess the very initial ones in the second quarter, if there was much of an effect, uh, must have been favorable because the second quarter um, uh, trade added uh, a full percentage point, 1.1 points to um, the fourth quarter GDP, which if we remember was a very strong 4.1%. So really a big bulk of that was coming from improvement in trade. Well, the first indications, uh, well below expectations, by the way, this was a surprise and how weak they were. Exports just really fell across the board, um, uh, including for capital goods, which is the the, uh, the nation's biggest strength, uh, and including a really sizable decline in exports of agricultural products. Um, and on the import side, imports are also going up, and they're going up solidly, 0.9% in the month. Uh, and uh, so that adds, uh, of course, even more trouble. So we're not seeing uh, any downturn in imports. And here again, all across the, the readings, uh, including foods, uh, which went up 2%, uh, vehicles up nearly 2%. Um, so the very first signs, uh, uh, this is kind of a blow to third quarter uh, GDP estimates, really uh, uh, estimates. However, the data also included uh, inventories, uh, wholesale and retail inventories, and they uh, ended the second quarter very, very un, uh, uh, unwelcome, uh, too lean, uh, not enough goods. So we're seeing a very sharp build beginning in the third quarter. Now, this will be a positive 
an offsetting positive actually of, uh, to trade, um, at least in these uh, initial numbers for July. And this is a very wanted build, a very needed build. The economy is unlike uh, uh, what Jeremy was describing in Europe. The economy here is in very good uh, shape, uh, and these inventories need to be restocked, which is positive for uh, production and employment. And we had another, um, it looks like another big month for uh, employment here. The Consumer Confidence Report was also released this morning, unusual strength. We're back at a uh, an 18-year high going back to the dot-com craze in uh, October 2000 uh, and 2000. That was the last time we've seen this report show such strength. And it included unusual strength in the assessment of uh, the current job situation with a very, very, very uh, small percentage of the sample, only 12.7%. And that's down 2.1 points in the month. That's very sharp and very low. And that points to a very strong uh, August employment report that is certain to raise expectations, uh, but both for non farm payroll growth and perhaps to bring down uh, uh, what people will be seeing for the unemployment rate. And uh, later this week, we're getting um, uh, uh, personal income and outlays, which will uh, update the full uh, July consumer spending uh, picture, which based on the retail uh, segment of this uh, looks to have been pretty strong. And the consumer confidence jump that we've seen uh, today does very uh, uh, hint very strongly at uh, an uptick in the August numbers, which, of course, have yet to appear. But turning back to the July numbers and personal income and outlays, that report will also include the PCE core uh, price index. And uh, this is the most important uh, of all the uh, inflation indexes. And it looks to be the economy Consensus for the core is only a 0.2% rise. Uh, you know, medical care has been showing a little pressure. Vehicles have been showing a little pressure. But housing, uh, really the bulk of, of consumer spending or consumer price uh, exposure is pretty soft right now. But the year-on-year rate, does, which uh, uh, tipped over 2% earlier in the year, has since moved back, had since moved back to 1.9, is expected to come back to 2%, which is right where the Fed wants it, which gets me to my final point, which is going to be Jerome Powell and his talk on Friday. What he did, every um, chairman or chair has a, a favorite indicator. And, uh, Powell's early favorite indicator is definitely consumer expectations. He uh, downplayed actual um, uh, variation, volatility, if there is, if, if it becomes to that for prices, actual price changes, inflation changes, saying more importantly that as long as con- uh, expectations for prices, whether they're business expectations or consumer expectations for inflation, as long as they remain stable, uh, and there, uh, he interprets that, uh, uh, implies that uh, businesses and consumers expect the Federal Reserve in their countercyclical policies to balance uh, the actual inflation and will be patient in uh, letting the Fed achieve its 2% goal, which is about where we're at right now. And if there is any little uh, o- overshoot or, uh, on their symmetrical 
uh, any bias in their symmetrical target right now. I guess it's a little bit of the overshoot, but we're probably not going to see that. But in any case, that gets us then to the Friday's consumer sentiment report. Now, consumer sentiment hasn't been nearly as strong as consumer confidence, which we saw in today's report. Consumer sentiment, the mid-month August report, actually flattened. So, the, so uh, taking these two samples together probably is what we should do, at least right now. But this report on Friday will uh, also have a, cons uh, a consumer inflations, the most closely watched of all the consumer inflation expectations. And that has been incrementally on the rise, as well as business expectations, just very, very slight, almost like going up as the core rate itself. Inflation right, right now is very well behaved. It's doing what the Fed wants it to do. And that uh, that is, uh, I think, a, a, a big positive keeping uh, expectations for Fed policy in clear focus, it, and there are expectations for continued gradual uh, rate hikes, but uh, I think everything is falling in line with, with what the general outlook is. Thanks, Mark. Until next week. <laughs>